Hello, all you hard hits. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hard Headed Sports Podcast, episode number 43, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And this morning, I saw one of the worst advertisements that I have seen in a long while. Maybe I should clarify a little bit. It was one of the worst sporting advertisements I'd seen in a long while. And actually, it came from a pretty unfamiliar source, Nike. Uh, actually makes pretty good commercials, par for the course. Their commercials are very enjoyable. I remember they had that amazingly edited commercial in which the screen was split down the middle and there was one event on one side and another event on the other and they were able to splice it and edit it to look like one continuous motion between two separate frames. It was incredible. But the ad that I saw this morning was not that incredible it was a women's basketball ad and before you go there it's not the fact that it was women's basketball it was the message and it was the way they decided to place the advertising because advertising is one of those very fickle things where there's multiple ways for you to approach a situation and based on the reception of your audience you can basically bounce between the two there's kind of this meme culture around women's basketball that it's it's not as interesting as the men, it's not as athletic, it's not as entertaining to watch, and regardless of whether or not that's true, I mean, obviously there are some people who probably find women's basketball incredibly entertaining. Personally, for me, I'll watch women's basketball, I recognize the talent of these women who are playing the sport, but I will never find it as interesting as watching the men play. And that's kind of the sentiment that I think that they were attacking when I saw this ad this morning. It was an ad that basically said, it's not that we don't dunk. It's not that we're not talented. It's not that we don't have buzzer beaters. And then the last, you know, last title slate of this 30 second ad was the only problem with the WNBA is that you're not watching. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. I mean, maybe that's just a little bit too real for me, but there's something that strikes me the wrong way when you're not only acknowledging the fact that nobody is watching your sport, but you're almost insinuating that it's our fault. It's, it's the viewer's fault that we're not watching the sport. You get what I'm saying? It was an extremely weird ad in which it's like, okay, I can understand that maybe the women feel underappreciated and they definitely are underappreciated. Again, The talent is there, and I will watch women's basketball on occasion when it's available for me in my area, whether it's on ESPN+, I will watch it. And genuinely, it's entertaining. Like, I appreciate the sport, and I appreciate the talent of these women, since I am a sports nut. You know, I I appreciate it. But if there's something else on, I'm going to be watching something else. And the fact that this ad goes into that detail, it's, you know, it's not that the ad says, well, it's not the fact that we don't have buzzer beaters. It's not the fact that we don't dunk. It's not the fact that there's not any trash talk. It's the fact that you're not watching. It it just, it it really, for me, clicked two no-no buttons or clicked two no-no check marks for me. And that's acknowledging that there is a problem with it but also insinuating that it's the viewer's fault and not the league's fault for as why to views are lower than maybe the men's sport or just views are lower overall. I felt like that was a really, really bad way to take a look at it by Nike. I thought that was a bad way to take a look at it by the WNBA. And I I didn't like the ad at all. And I was watching that this morning while I was getting ready for the show. I usually 
you know, listen to uh, a podcast or something or watch a couple of YouTube videos. And that came across my YouTube feed this morning. And I was like, what the heck is this? And again, no disrespect to the women. They're incredibly talented. This ad just does not do it for me. Uh, I, I just think that you should never call out your own problems. And then not only do you call out your own problem, I think the, the better way to handle this would have been to turn a blind eye to it and just assume that everybody's watching. Because not only... Not only should you never call out your own problems, but you should never insinuate that it's the consumer's fault for the problem existing, regardless of the fact that, yeah, there's just some naturally enforced, maybe sexism or bias that more people like to watch men's sports than people like to watch women's sports. Uh, it was a bad ad. It rubbed me the wrong way. And it's unfortunate because if anything, this probably deterred people from actually watching the WNBA because of this ad uh, and the way that it came off so abrasively. So Nike, normally really good ads. They they have had good ads in the past. This one, not so much. This one definitely rubbed me the wrong way. Let's start off the show today uh, talking about the Detroit Lions. Actually, before we get into that, I do want to issue a bit of an apology or a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, I'm sorry about the lack of content recently. I've been extremely busy, but I've also kind of been under the weather. I think it's just seasonal allergies at this point uh, or something more akin to the common cold. It's not the Rona. I'm fully vaccinated. I, I think I'm good on that front, but haven't been feeling the best, but also... I've had a lot of work sprout out for my side jobs, my side hustles over the past few weeks, editing, video production, uh, graphic design. I've had a lot of influx of that come in all at once. So I've been sitting at this desk a lot. <laughs> you can probably tell my, my beard's untrimmed. My hair is getting super long. I, I look like I haven't slept in a couple of days. So I've been sitting at this desk a lot, doing a lot of work. It just hasn't been work for the hard-headed sports podcast. And uh, again, I'm going to try and do better. This is kind of my statement, me telling you, I, I know I'm going to do better. We're almost at the 300 subscriber mark. I want to continue that progress. And I'm going to be taking a vacation after I make this episode today. So hopefully that revitalizes me. And obviously the NBA playoffs are going to be starting. NHL playoffs are have just started. So there's going to be more to talk about moving forward. So hopefully I get a kick in the pants. I get back to my original pace and uh, the show gets better and better from here on out. But speaking of the show or speaking of shows rather, uh, I've been doing a lot of sitting at this desk, like I said, and it's allowed me to catch up on some podcasts and kind of just passively listen to stuff while I am, you know, doing some extra work on the side. And I was listening to part of my take this week and new Lions head coach Dan Campbell was on the show and he said something that kind of made some, some national news that I found to be extremely hilarious and why I am really excited for the Detroit Lions moving forward. He made the comment that he says, I don't think this is going to happen, but I would really love a pet lion to be on the practice field with the players during practice. A pet lion. <laughs> I love Dan Campbell. I, I think... You know, he's an extremely outlandish and charismatic figure, and I think he's absolutely perfect at the Detroit Lions. And, you know, when the first when the when the hire first happened, I was like, ah, you know, I don't I don't know about Dan Campbell. You know, I think you probably could have had a little bit of a better hire in this case, probably somebody a little bit more knowledgeable. I was really be uh, I was really pounding the table for Eric Bieniemy. I think he's a charismatic individual and he should definitely have a head coaching job by now in the NFL. He's a great offensive mind and 
I thought that Eric Bieniemy would have been a good uh, fit in Detroit. So when the name Dan Campbell was announced, I was like, mm, that's a little bit out there. Now, granted, Dan Campbell has come exactly as advertised, because if you remember what he was able to do in Miami when he was the interim coach there for a little while after Joe Philbin just got fired, at least I think it was Joe Philbin, it might have been Adam Gase who had just been fired. No, Gase was fired at the end of the season. It was definitely Joe Philbin. Joe Philbin's Miami Dolphins football team was extremely bland and extremely boring to watch. It was a very similar case in which the team ended up playing like the coach. Team kind of was a little fuddy-duddy. It played like they were a bunch of old men. They weren't physical. They weren't passionate. And Dan Campbell came in that next week, that first week that he was the interim head coach in Miami, and he had those players playing like they were going to run through a wall. So now it kind of makes sense why Detroit made the Dan Campbell hire to begin with, and it's taken me this long to realize it, with the amount of outlandish comments made by Dan Campbell and how he clearly is just so passionate for the sport and he's so passionate for the culture change that he's trying to instill in Detroit. Because when you think about the past 10 or 11 years of Detroit Lions, uh, you know, head football coaching, uh, Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, Matt Patricia, all of them have very similar qualities in terms of their personality. They don't necessarily seem to be the most energetic. They don't seem to be the most invested in the game. In fact, Matt Patricia looked like he would rather be watching or coaching from his lazy boy in his basement uh, on Sundays. Matt Patricia was just a horrible hire. He never truly seemed like he gave two craps about what was going on during the game. And it affected the Lions on the field. You can tell that the Lions were just not prepared to play week in and week out. They did, you know, have some decent seasons. They had some good games here or there. But Matt Patricia overall just didn't look like he enjoyed his job. He didn't look like he enjoyed being in Detroit. And he didn't want to, you know, have his team playing at a very passionate and high level. Which is why Dan Campbell, who comes in, who's who, you know, in his introductory press conference was like, we're going to be playing hard, you know, football. We're going to be biting at their kneecaps. And, you know, here or there, he, he he goes on a bunch of talk shows. He wanted to offer Pat McAfee a job at one point. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember whether that was a joke or kind of a serious offer. And now, you know, going on part of my take and saying, oh, yeah, look, we should have like a pet lion on the field during practice. Like, it's so outlandish and weird, but it's it makes them so likable. It makes the Detroit Lions exciting, especially in comparison to, as I said, to what they had been experiencing the past 10 or 11 years where they have a an extremely good quarterback in Matthew Stafford and they have some good defensive pieces here or there, but they always look like they just didn't care. And that's a product of your head coaching. That's a product of how your coach allow, uh, prepares you to play week in and week out. And I foresee a future in which Detroit Lions and Detroit Lions fans are really excited to play during the games. And they play with a lot of passion. They play like they're going to run through a brick wall. And that is exactly... That's exactly what Detroit needs. That's exactly what the Lions need. And I can absolutely see why the Lions, or Lions fans rather, are so excited for the upcoming seasons and why they're really excited about Dan Campbell and the new look Detroit Lions. Now, obviously, there's a lot of organizational things that have to come in besides that. And I think they've made a couple of good steps moving forward, or to start off, rather. They had a very, very quiet free agency, very cost-effective after making a big expenditure to acquire Jared Goff's contract in that trade with L.A. Uh, and trading away Matthew Stafford, they got a haul of first-round picks. They had a really good draft. Panay Sewell kind of just landed you know, to them right in their lap. Uh, 
you know, obviously when a generational talent at left tackle drops to you at that spot, you take him no matter what. Uh, if he was taken, obviously I had Devonta Smith mocked to him in uh, mocked to the Lions in Detroit. They definitely need some wide receiver help, and that will be addressed eventually. Uh, I'm not quite sure when, but that definitely will be addressed. They lost three or four out of their uh, uh, five starting caliber wide receivers. But, you know, they had a decent free agency, very quiet and cost-effective, re-signed a couple of big names. Romeo Aquara was one of them. They had a decent uh, to uh, to great draft, depending on who you ask. Uh, obviously, Panay falling to them was great. But I think Dan Campbell is really going to be what turns this around. If he can get Jared Goff playing at an exci- at, at, a, at a great level, if he can reinstill uh, you know Jared Goff's passion for the game, because it looked like Sean McVay and that riff that Sean McVay and Jared Goff had in LA was really affected Goff. If he can reignite Goff's passion, if he can reignite the passion of not only the entire organization but the fan base as well, I can foresee the Detroit Lions being extremely successful because of Dan Campbell. And I know maybe this may be a little bit of an overreaction to legitimately one line that he said during a part of my take interview on that podcast. But I can't help it. I can't help but be excited by Dan Campbell. I can't help but be excited for the future of the Detroit Lions. And again, I I am not a Detroit Lions fan. I grew up a Green Bay Packers fan and a Miami Dolphins fan uh, more than anything else. If anything, I'm completely against the Lions, but obviously this is an unbiased show and I'm really excited for the future of the Detroit Lions and I can absolutely see why Lions fans are so excited and why they should have reason to be excited after however many years of being a uh, being in a drought so they're they're probably not going to have a good year this year they got a pretty tough schedule ahead of them and obviously the first year of the rebuild is always the hardest but moving forward with all those first round picks and maybe a bigger free agency uh, offseason this upcoming season if they can especially get Jared Goff turned around, I can be really optimistic about where the Lions are going in the next couple of seasons, and I will be keeping my eye on them. It's really the New York Giants and the Detroit Lions that I think are the two teams that I'm really kind of invested in from a, uh, a sports pers- uh, perspective this season in terms of wanting them to have success. Obviously, New York with Daniel Jones. I want Daniel Jones to be at, to have a good season. I'm excited for what the New York Giants are going to be able to do on offense. That was kind of like one of my big themes this offseason. Wow, New York is loading up on offense they're really going to try and give Danny Dimes a chance to succeed and I guess the other team now is the Detroit Lions seeing how Dan Campbell has really made me invested in a team that I shouldn't be invested in all uh, about so good on Dan Campbell it's going to be interesting to see what he does with Detroit moving forward whenever I make a take on Major League Baseball or before I make a take on Major League Baseball I've done this a couple times I've noticed I kind of make a disclaimer or a a statement that I don't watch baseball all that much so maybe my understanding of the sport may be less than somebody who watches the sport all the time and that's not to discredit myself or uh, delegitimize my take on the subject because I still stay up to date with it and uh, I'm informed with it just maybe my overall understanding may be lesser than somebody who's really in into baseball like obviously I'm really into basketball and I'm really into football and somebody who may be a baseball and a hockey fan who doesn't know as much about basketball and football they may be informed but they they may not understand the logistics of what happening of what is happening and why something is important so that's why today for this topic I I kind of come a little bit open-handed and I, I come not with a solidified take on the subject, but more just of an open question that I'm hoping you all can help me with. Because there is very clearly something happening in Major League Baseball right now that's kind of unprecedented. Um, I was going to talk about this yesterday. 
uh, and I wasn't able to record yesterday, and that was right after uh, the fifth no-hitter of the season was thrown. And then Corey Kluber last night throws the sixth no-hitter of the season. And in case you were wondering, the record in uh, MLB history for the most no-hitters thrown in a season was eight. And in the modern era, it's actually seven. We're only in the month of May, and we've already hit the sixth no-hitter. Batting and offense is at an all-time low in the MLB, the lowest batting average, the lowest on-base percentage, I think, as well. Some crazy stats. So there is very clearly a pitching dominance in Major League Baseball right now. And it's kind of struck me as to be a little bit weird. Not, I don't even know if weird is the right choice of word for it, but... I'm very curious to know what baseball fans think as to whether or not this pitching domination is a problem for Major League Baseball, the sport as a whole or not. Because when the casual fan watches baseball, right? So if I'm, you know, flicking through my TV and I see, okay, Sunday night baseball is on, it's uh, the, the Mets versus the Phillies or something, right? It's like, okay, uh, you know, the Phillies have, you know, Bryce Hop- Bryce Harper, Andrew McCutcheon, uh, JT Real Muto. They've got some really good players. The Mets have star pitching in DeGrom and uh, so- Syndergaard and so on and so forth. So, like, you know the stars uh, of the game. Uh, Alonzo at first base for New York as well. So there's the star players, and you know, generally speaking, what's going on. When you tune into those games, you expect, okay, Bryce Harper is going to, you know, pop off offensively. There's going to be a lot of action. You ideally want like a seven to eight run game. Offense is going back and forth with one another. That's entertaining baseball, right? As a casual fan, that's kind of what you're expecting. So in the past few seasons, when there's been a development in which pitching has kind of taken over, there's been less and less offense, which makes things for casual fans, in my mind, less and less entertaining, which is why ratings have kind of not been so good recently. So it's gotten to a point in which it it almost feels like there is a no-hit threat pretty much every single night. Like, I will have my ESPN app open and see, wow, okay, this person now is has not allowed a hit through six or seven innings. You know, what's going on? The no-hitter in my mind was kind of like, uh, I don't know, just to keep it with baseball sense, it's like hitting the cycle for a pitcher. If you throw a no-hitter, it's extremely difficult to do, and in the sports world, we we put so much emphasis and pride and and celebration on the fact that you've thrown a no-hitter. It was always, in my mind, perceived as something extremely special, so when it happened, it was worthy of celebration and acclaim because it was so difficult. And now we're seeing... A situation in which a no-hit threat is happening pretty much every single night. So my questions are, is it getting to a point in which the no throwing a no-hitter is losing its, its jazz, its special nature, if it's losing its pizzazz? Is throwing a no-hitter becoming less and less special because of how dominant pitching is becoming? And is this a good or bad thing for baseball? Because as I said, as the casual baseball fan, you're going into a game, you want to see a high-scoring, you know, home-run-filled game because that's entertaining. Offense is always more entertaining than defense, right? And that pretty much goes for every sport. I I can't think of a sport in which defense is more entertaining than offense. 
offense is so entertaining. So now that, you know, there's all these no hitters being thrown, it's going at a record pace. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the record actually does end up getting broken this season. Is it affecting Major League Baseball in a good way or a bad way? Because no hitters are special. They're extremely difficult to do. It's just not what most people would like to see. People would like to see offense. So my questions really are the following. Is, is are these no-hitters losing their special nature? Two, is the fact that all of these no-hitters being thrown good or bad for baseball? Because every time a no-hitter gets thrown, it's, it's a big deal, right? Is it good or bad for the sport at baseball because people come to watch offense? And three, I guess really, is... Is this a problem for the sport overall? And is it something that the sport can overcome? It's just something that's been playing in my mind and a question that I wanted to ask and wanted to get out to more of the diehard baseball fans who may watch baseball every single day, who, in comparison to me, where I obviously am informed, I keep up on everything, but it's not my favorite sport, so I don't understand the nicks and crannies of the sport and why things may or may not be important. So... I'm very interested to see what kind of response I get to this and what side people fall on, because I imagine that there's two sides to the coin, right? There's people that are saying we're watching history being made with the amount of pitching domination that's being displayed on the baseball diamond, right? This, this domination from pitchers hasn't been this, this strong since I would argue 2011, 2012, where pitching was really, really strong. And then obviously we had a huge home run surgeons in the middle of the decade. And now, uh, into the next decade, it, it appears like pitching is being very dominant again. Is that I, I'm very interested to see whether people see it as okay, this is history in the making. We're watching history being done right now, or people saying this is really bad. This is making the sport boring to watch. I would prefer that home runs were still, you know, better or are still happening more frequently. It makes the sport entertaining to watch. Or maybe a, a potential third option, which you're saying, hey, look, things go up and down. You know, sometimes pitching is stronger, sometimes batting is stronger. It's just the ebb and flow of the sport. This is nothing to do, or this is very little to do, not a big deal. So I'm very interested to see what kind of response, if I get a response on the video um, from some of you who are hardcore baseball fans. Let me know and keep it friendly down in the comment section, by the way, keep it friendly. Um, that's kind of something that I've been thinking about over the past few days when it comes to baseball. Uh, I was going to talk about it yesterday, as I said. Uh, with all the no-hitters being thrown, we were already at five. And then Corey Kluber, the very next night, throws the sixth no-hitter of the season. And uh, the MLB is at a speed train pace in order to br- it, it, it seemingly to break this record for most no-hitters thrown in a single season. So to end the show today, we are going to be talking about the NBA, some basketball. We're completing the trifecta, ladies and gentlemen. We talked about football. We talked about baseball. Now it's time to talk about basketball. I have completely changed my mind on the NBA play in tournament completely. Uh, I normally, you know, it's, it's very faux pas for anybody who does any type of debate content or, uh, makes opinions or is a media analyst or, or is a commentator on sports. Regardless, if, if you're creating content in which opinion is a huge part of it, it's very faux pas to raise your hand and say, I was wrong. Uh, that's why 
you'll very rarely see it on some of those heavy debate shows on your favorite sports networks. Uh, it's it's very faux pod to do that, but I am always one to say I was wrong. I was completely wrong about the NBA play tournament, and I was genuinely excited and entertained throughout the entire thing. And if you've been living under a rock, the NBA play tournament was unanimously approved in the offseason by the Owners Association. Or I don't know if it was the association, but it was unanimously uh, approved by the owners. And it's a play-in tournament in which the 7th through 10 seeds in each conference will compete with one another in a smaller tournament to secure the 7th and 8th seeds for the NBA playoffs. So in the case of what happened last night, the Warriors lost to the Lakers in the 7-8 and eight game. They will be playing the Memphis Grizzlies, who beat the San Antonio Spurs in the other game that day. So 7-8 and eight play each other. The loser of that game plays the winner of the 9-10 and 10 game, while the loser of the 9-10 and 10 game gets eliminated completely from the playoffs. And when... When this was announced earlier this year, or or in December, originally I was like, this seems so unnecessary. This seems like a replication of the bubble. This seems completely unnecessary, and over the course of the season... I found more reasons to not like it. I and and it's kind of sir it's kind of revolving around the Lakers rather. I was just hypothetically imagining a situation in which the Lakers who on paper are one of the best teams in the NBA, they are finals contenders, they're finals favorites, they're one of the best teams. Anthony Davis and LeBron James are money TV. They're incredibly fun to watch and when they're playing together at the highest peak uh, of both of their abilities, they're probably the hardest duo to stop in the NBA apart from maybe Steph and Steph and Clay when they're both healthy, but obviously they're both dominant for different reasons. LeBron and Anthony Davis are athletic specimen who um, not only are gifted passers and they can shoot the basketball, but they're just their size and their rim awareness is incredible. Whereas Steph and Clay are just monsters at shooting basketball from ridiculously deep ranges, right? But hypothetically, and the, the way that the season was going for the Lakers just kind of made me hate the play-in scenario even more and more because you have a team like the Lakers that are one of the best teams in the NBA, but they're continuously losing contention in their standings in the West because Anthony Davis and LeBron James were hurt at the same time. So I was just imagining and loathing a situation in which the Lakers somehow, one of the best teams in the league, were not in the playoffs spe specifically due to injury. And obviously people are saying, well, hey, man, that would have happened you know, regardless, they're, they're, the, the drop in the standings would have happened regardless of whether the playing tournament was a thing. But I just personally would have hated it if the Lakers, who, you know, had a seventh seed, who, would, who still would have been in the playoffs and would have had both their players returning and would have been fine and could have made a run. I would have felt horrible and kind of miffed off as a basketball fan if somehow the Lakers lost both their play-in tournament games due to injury. And obviously, Anthony Davis and LeBron James returned in time to prevent this from happening. They have secured the seventh seed, and they'll be move, uh, moving on and playing the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. But imagine a world in which they were eliminated from the playoffs, and we as the sports fan were robbed of, you know, Lakers versus Clippers, Lakers versus Nets, any potential basketball matchup that we could have gotten. And just because the Lakers were forced to play in a playing tournament in which all their star players were hurt. That's kind of the scenario that I was imagining in my head, and it kind of just made me dislike the idea of the playing tournament. But having watched all of the playing tournament games over the past few days, apart from Indiana versus Charlotte, which was a complete blowout and, you know, not interesting at all, every single 
playing in tournament game was pretty spectacular. I was extremely entertained in it. I was not expecting to be as thoroughly entertained as I was, and I've changed my mind completely. And every single game that I saw over the past few days felt like a Game 7. It had that Game 7 energy that I was not expecting, and I really, really enjoyed it. It had basically the climax of a seven-game series without the story. And obviously, the story of a seven-game series is what adds to the Game 7, so it's not like it was a true, quote-unquote, Game 7, but it was almost like a miniature Game 7, so to speak. I was really impressed, and I did not expect myself to be so invested in these games. Uh, Boston versus uh, the Wizards was incredibly entertaining, and Boston in itself has been a story this year with how they've kind of declined. Um, Memphis versus San Antonio was a good game. The Lakers versus the Warriors was probably one of the best games I've seen all season. And obviously that probably helps things when it comes to viewer retention and viewer praise. Like I'm giving the praise for the playing tournament right now, but it's, it's a pretty genius idea. You get miniature game sevens, you get over the course of three or four days. So you get the heightened tension of the, uh, the added stakes of what a game seven is to move on to the playoffs. You have that added tension. And, uh, you know, without uh, the, the long series, without the time wasted, it's great for viewership. It's great for the business side of things. And it's kind of genius. Now, maybe this is just a reactionary take because the play-in games were so good. And you can definitely make the argument that if the play-in games were really, really bad or there was a bad result, as I suggested, or kind of alluded to in an alternate universe in which the Lakers lost both their play-in games due to injury and one of the best teams throughout the season who just really got unluckier now uh, out of the playoffs and we as basketball fans wouldn't get, uh, you know, all the great matchups in the playoffs, right? You know, maybe it's a reactionary because everything went smoothly and everything was a favorable outcome, you know, regardless of who you root for. Maybe that's a reactionary side of things and you can absolutely make the argument that if things went poorly that maybe my argument or my mind wouldn't have changed. But as it stands right now, I was really impressed by the playing tournament. I think it's a great idea. I think it we got a bunch of miniature game sevens, and uh, the fact that you know we got lucky in the sense that hey, Lakers versus uh, Warriors was an incredible game. Uh, maybe I don't know. Just maybe maybe I shouldn't be so quick to judge it uh, next time. So. We'll see what uh, the, the retention of the playing tournament is or the ramifications moving forward, whether or not we'll see it next season or the you know season moving forward. Uh, what did you think of the playing tournament games? Let me know. I'm interested to see what you thought. Uh, that's the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen. I got to get packed. Got to get going. Got a vacation to go to. So thank you so much for listening. This has been the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 43. My name is Nick Ryan. With that all being said, stay hardheaded, but have a nice day.